With more than 200 accredited courses and more than 1,000 videos, the Police One Academy is a powerful online solution that provides department training programs with features that reduce time spent on records and policy management, credential tracking, and more. It is law enforcement training made simple and effective. For more information and to get a 30-day trial, visit www.policeoneacademy.com forward slash policing matters. Hello, and thank you for clicking, and thank you for listening to Policing Matters, the Police One podcast. I'm Doug Wiley. Hi, this is Jim Dudley. Jim, we do not typically do um, rapid response to um, current events. We are, today is October 4th. Um, this podcast will transmit on Friday, the 6th of, uh, of October. Um, so a lot of the information we're going to discuss right now may wind up being um, changed by the time the podcast happens Um you know, as events unfold and the investigation continues. Of course, we're talking about um, the tragedy in Las Vegas on Sunday night um, when from a corner suite on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, 64-year-old gunman, whose name merits no mention here, um, unleashed a hail of gunfire on an innocent crowd of 22,000 people attending a a country music concert. the report, reports are that he had 23 guns, at least 12 of which were equipped with this bump stock gizmo, um, which effectively turns a semi-automatic into a fully automatic um, gun. Uh, they're, they're perfectly legal. They seem completely illogical that they should be legal. Um, cost about 300 bucks, 200 bucks, or something like that. So it's really one of the cheaper add-ons you can put in an AR. Um, yeah, killed. How many? How many people? He killed fifty-eight, I think, and uh, injured five hundred and twenty-seven people. It's just—it's phenomenal. It, it, in my way of looking at the world, this is a game changer for a variety of things: large-scale events, open-air public events, how they're protected. You know, we're never going to look at the high ground the same again. Um, whereas I think people have looked at the high ground for centuries when it comes to you know security. So it. it it does kind of puzzle me a little bit that there may, what was, was there a counter sniper on the ground or in a Luxor or someplace else to see the muzzle flashes? They only lasted 10 minutes, so there wasn't a whole lot of time. So, you know, what are, what are some of your, you did the security for the America's Cup here in San Francisco. It's thousands and thousands of people coming to attend a weeks-long event. Yeah. Know, tell me some of your thoughts. Then. So, in special operations and homeland security, right after 9-11 and uh, this, this, took me back to 2001 and, and the horrific, tragic events that, that unfolded in Las Vegas and the aftermath. And, and I hear you when you say game changer and you think things you know have to change. We can't possibly go on the way we have. But I mean, it, I think it really comes down to the public will, the pressure on politicians, um, how much security uh, do people want when they go to a semi-public event? And I mean semi-public when you pay the price of admission, there is some sense of security when you go in there because you're being searched. You, if you have a ticket, you can go into the venue, but only if you 
abide by the rules of the venue. So you go through a metal detector, maybe you get wanded, you have a see-through backpack or no backpacks allowed. Mm -hmm. You're limited in what you can take in. So in the bubble of the event, you can 98% be certain that you're secure. Nobody else has a gun unless through some miracle they smuggled it in. Mm -hmm. But now in this case, it's an open air venue 200 plus yards away, you have this maniac out of a 30 second story window firing with fully automatic uh, long guns at the crowd. Um, the kind of security that would be needed to prevent something like that would need to be high cost, high personnel involved, technology involved, you'd have to go to the great lengths that we would for a dignitary uh, mm -hmm. visit protection for the likes of the president mm -hmm. of the United States, the Pope, uh, other high-end uh, potential targets. Um, we would have to have some sense of situational awareness that would say that there is some sort of a threat level. Mm -hmm. In the case of this country western uh, concert, there was no situational awareness. There was no uh, this threat. Uh, the, there was no high high value target there, except a gathering of over twenty two thousand people there. So, at what lengths will we go? Well, we'll see. I mean, we're we're at the at the very front end of this investigation. We know little about. Uh, the perpetrator, except what you just said, and, and a mm -hmm. couple other uh, details. But uh, who's suspecting 64-year-old man in his hotel room is going to unleash this kind of terror? Right. He doesn't fit the profile. He he is an outlier in the profile. He's apparently his his home was around 80 miles away. Um, he was apparently a regular. He's, he was basically a gambling addict. He was in like, all of these casinos. He had forty thousand dollar payouts at times, high stakes poker. Interestingly, I think that I read somewhere that his favorite game was video poker, where there's no interaction with other people. You're just sitting in front of a screen gambling. Mm -hmm. And that to me is a pretty awful way to live. Yeah. Um, even when I want to play cards, I want to play cards with other people. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, there were some of some of the things that to me kind of stand out. There were 10 apparently suitcases in the room. It would be pretty easy if you are 80 miles away to go back, get one suitcase or two suitcases and shuttle those puppies up through, especially if you're doing it at different shifts or different times of day or different days of the weekend. Sure. He was there from Thursday to Sunday. That's sure. basically a four day weekend. And so it's not inconceivable to me that he would have the ability to, you know, there's a, there's a huge difference between having a sport uh, rifle and you're gonna go to a competition. There's competitions sure. in Vegas all the time. Sure. Or your personal sidearm if you've got paper for it. But it's a totally different ball of wax to have 23 or so guns and think of how many magazines he must have right, had. I mean, right. he probably had to have had 130 rounders. I don't know. But my friend Aaron Cohen, who um, is ex-Israeli Special Forces, I interviewed him for the article that also appears uh, on, on the same day as this podcast. And he emphasized bag checks. He said, sterilize the, the environment for four or five days before a large event. And you don't have to do it all the time. He calls it the Israeli flexibility model, or, or mm -hmm. it's, uh, the hybrid model, I think is what he called it. And if you, you don't have to do bag checks all the time. You, but you should do bag checks at a hotel like this where you know you're going to have a large... You, know, you look at the venue in retrospect and you go, 
the first thing I would think of is up there. I mean, that's the that and a truck. I would be thinking yeah, a truck or a garage or yeah, exactly. multi-level garage. Right, exactly. I would be looking at, you know, basically where can where can the threat come from? And it would I would immediately think of those buildings, sure. you know, the Luxor and the Mandalay the high ground, high ground. Um, and I, I don't know whether or not that was a security breach or a security lapse, rather, but certainly those guns couldn't have gotten in the building if they were doing bag checks. Right. You know, they just couldn't. No, but I mean, look at some of these venues. Look in San Diego, Petco Park. Mm-hmm. You've got a hotel that overlooks the field. Look at Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, Wrigley Field, and they do concerts there. I doubt that they do that kind of security. If, you, if you're talking about um, luggage uh, and breakdown weapons that fit in luggage, okay, but... Uh, I was talking to a reporter earlier about uh, getting guns into the room and how could it possibly happen. And, I, and I'm telling this this reporter, look, I, I have a base case that looks like a rifle case. Yeah. It wouldn't be so unusual taking three or four of those in an elevator up to a room. Yeah. And Las Vegas just had a big gun show. And we know the SHOT Show mm-hmm. is coming. And so the idea of Nevada, which has pretty lenient policies on firearms... You could go into a firearms dealer, purchase the gun, fill out the paperwork while you're getting the background check, go into their range, uh, qualify for your CCW, and at the end of the day, walk out with your concealable firearms. So it's not like we're talking pristine environments to begin with. And at what point do you check all the high ground around a venue? Is it all the time? Is it every event? Um, We're talking about adding on costs to the price of the ticket because you know nobody's going to absorb this cost yeah. for the extra personnel, the extra technology. And you're, you're going to get people who say, hey, forget it, I'll watch it on TV, pay for pay-per-view or something. So there's got to be a balance. And, and when I say that the public has to reach a point where they say, okay, we're going to, we're going to tip the balance a little bit between privacy and safety and we're going to go this route. But these are the same people that we have to convince that Urban Shield is not a bad thing. That right. you're training cops to respond to this. To kind this of exact event. We just did a podcast on Urban Shield. I think it was just last week or the week right. before about the value of having first responders. Police were fantastic. Now, they, they isolated, I think, within around 20 minutes where the guy was. Of course, 10 minutes of shooting. You probably figure at that point he's off himself. He's out of bullets and he's just going to shoot himself. He apparently shot a security guard, and that's how I, I think that's how through they, the leg, they yeah. yeah through the leg. That's I think I, how they came up with the idea he was on the thirty second floor. Um, that's speculation on my part at this point. Mm-hmm. But again, on October fourth, Wednesday, you know we, this is all we know. We're only twenty four forty eight hours removed. But I want to talk about motive. Um, I mentioned that the the guy just doesn't fit the profile. Uh, ISIS immediately, you know, issued a statement of uh, a claim of responsibility. I think that's a fairly thin thread. Um, the only connection that I could possibly see, and it's really thin again, is that you know his girlfriend had ties to the Philippines. The Philippines has a huge footprint with ISIS. He sent a hundred grand over there. The story by the the girlfriend today is that she thought he was breaking up with her and that she was to buy a house over in the Philippines and, and go back to her family. Um, plausible. It's entirely possible that that's the case, but it's also possible that there were nefarious purposes behind sending a hundred grand to the Philippines. Um, you know, he was a multimillionaire. You know, he's a retired you know accountant or something, and so uh, he just doesn't fit the profile. You know, there was another thread again it's really thin in my opinion but 
that uh, you know this 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 called Melbourne Antifa. It was a Florida Antifa Twitter account posted words to the effect of you know one of our brothers in Las Vegas has finally taken out a bunch of these pro-Trump scum or whatever the heck it said. Mm-hmm. Tweet was pretty quickly taken down, but. It's it's again plausible that you would have someone uh, a crowd of what one would kind of think to be conservatives. Generally speaking, country music people are along the more conservative side of the spectrum, and some person who's on the far extreme left who wants to make a statement um, and who wants to slaughter the the opponent. Mm. Um, you know, planning this thing out. Now, apparently, he had again been to this hotel on a regular basis. Here's my theory, if that's the case, if this whole lefty thing is the case. He sees a billboard for a concert coming up. Um, He booked this room, apparently, again, as we know now, 10 months in advance. So, and to coincide with the weekend long concert. Mm. So it does, and, you know, there are certainly opportunities for him to do pre-operational surveillance. Sure. Walk around the venue, look at the angles, you know, that kind of thing. If he's going back and forth to Vegas, 80 miles to his house on the regular, Okay, I might buy it. But what are, you, what are your thoughts on, you know, because he's not the Dylan Roofs of the world. He's not the, he, he doesn't fit the profile of a crazy person. Well, I don't know about that. There's some people that are crazy as a fox, as the saying goes. The fact that he did his planning, I don't think absolves him from being mentally ill. No. I mean, the guy, from what we know and what we've read through news reports, there was intricate planning. There mm-hmm. were, uh, apparently he set up uh, video cameras in the hallway to make sure he knew if police or security were approaching. He got all these guns up. He got all the ammo up. He had the, the window overlooking the venue. Um, he, he did all this gambling beforehand to get the money together. Um, we don't know the whole story. I mean, it's bits and pieces of the puzzle that we're, that we're yet to figure out. But I've got to think that at some point, somebody... Uh, had some inkling that this guy was up to no good. And we'll find that out down the road, whether that, that's true or not. But the guy's got 23 guns plus in the room. He's got... Plus another, like a dozen or two at home. 19 at home and yeah. then another dozen at another house. So, I mean, the guy's got upwards of 60 firearms. Okay, to all the firearms, Second Amendment people out there, firearms do not kill people, but people like this guy do kill people. And... Uh, he got all those guns up to the room. He got the ammo. Uh, he's, he, he did some preparation. And I think as a society and as law enforcement officials uh, who plan for these kinds of things, we, plan, we, we rely too much on this see something, say something mantra and rhetoric to the point where we believe that Well, because people are reluctant, people are reluctant to, to, to go ahead and say something. Right, they no, say something it's this, they're like, afraid oh. of the false positive. Right. They're afraid of, 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 you know, snitches end up in ditches, snitches mm-hmm. end up in with stitches or however the sayings go. And this is the extreme kind of case that people should be calling 911 about, or at least make it an anonymous tip. Mm-hmm. And, and to the point where if you've got uh, hotel people uh, cleaning the rooms and you notice all this stuff stacked up there, I wonder about the hotel policy um, on reporting suspicious circumstances. Clearly, we have... Uh, terrorism liaison officers who are out there training people and in San Francisco for instance we have a uh, the the security people got together and, and formed a security directors association that meets with police regularly 
TLOs go up and talk about latest trends. They talk about what's going on uh, criminally, um, what's going on that they could tell them from uh, federal agencies. Um, we've got 8,500 uh, hotel rooms in San Francisco, probably more than that. That was my last count. But uh, the see something, say something doesn't work unless people start talking about it. Yeah. And, you know, one other thing about this individual, I think that kind of maybe merits mention his name does not. But, um, you know, the fact of the matter is that he someone had to have seen something. Maybe that's why he sent his wife away. Maybe he didn't want her to see. Now I don't know when she left the country, mm -hmm. but you know, if you're if you're booking the room ten months in advance, that's a long, that's a really long planning cycle. Yeah. And, you know, there's the five phases of the active shooter, and you know, the fantasy stage, the implementation, and all that, all the way through. It it there had to have been some tell. Like how many. I don't know. I mean, how many bump stocks do you need? You know, like yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, it just. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, we're getting to the point, though, where, and I think the public, this is the public, the public rushes to this, right? Something horrific like this happens, the bad guy's dead, and we got to blame somebody. And I know there are a lot of people out there blaming law enforcement for their response. Why didn't they get there quicker? Why didn't it's they go It's a 45 in story building. No, totally. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, it's a natural tendency. Uh, or a human tendency, I guess I should say, to want to blame somebody. So there's going to be a lot of blame out there. Uh, the intelligence community, uh, gun shops, guns, period, uh, politicians, uh, the people who did see something and didn't say something, the girlfriend. I mean, there's going to be plenty of blame to spread around. And, and I, I just want to make a point that it is a horrific, tragic event uh, none of these people deserved any part of this. This guy is evil. He's rotting somewhere. And uh, we're not even going to say his name. I think that's totally appropriate that, that you don't give this guy any kind of props and you tell anybody out there who's thinking of doing the same thing, uh, it's not going to end well for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I have one person who I think deserves the blame, and that's the gunman. That's it. Right. Yeah. Um, tell us what you think. We definitely want to hear your thoughts on this matter or anything related to active shooter response or preparation for large scale open air events. I think that this is a really important conversation. I do believe that this is a, um, a, a pivotal event for large scale um, gathering, public gatherings, particularly when you have to look at the threats a little bit differently now. Um, so do send us your emails. It's policingmatters at police1.com. That's policingmatters at police1.com. Thanks again for listening.